I'm Louise Makshari and welcome to Real Talk with Real Mums, an expert advised and mum approved podcast that looks at the issues of everyday pregnancy with healthcare professionals and the real women who have gone through the pregnancy journey. You can listen on Spotify, iTunes or SoundCloud or on realtalkwithrealmums.ie. And if there's any questions you have always wanted to ask, we're also on Twitter at Real Mums Podcast. This episode, we're talking about complications. What can make a pregnancy complicated and what happens when things don't go the way you'd expected? Later, we'll talk to Professor Fanula Branach about complications like preeclampsia and gestational diabetes and some of the terms mums may have heard in an ultrasound scan and never quite understood. But first, our real mum, Addie Wood, who has just gone back to work after having her first child, baby Aiden. Addie, let's jump right in. Tell me about your pregnancy. Oh, where to, where to begin? <laughs> um, yeah, I found out I was pregnant um, in the September and we weren't planning on having a baby. But a welcome surprise, you know, we were delighted after we got our heads around the whole thing. Yeah, that, that initial yeah, shock, if you're not expecting it, it, I can imagine, is pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And, you know, it, it just took us a few weeks and then we were like, really excited about it um and then for me I guess it was getting my head around the system in Ireland I'm from the UK and a lot of my friends that got babies were saying oh expect this and this will happen and this will happen so I guess I was expecting things to go maybe in the same way that they go the NHS and it was maybe a little bit different so I was a little bit confused at times as to what was happening but um I think I think that can be the way across the board because I mean at the end of the day most of us are going into pregnancy not you know first time you you haven't done it before you you know you don't know how it works and yeah I suppose if you're lucky you have friends who might be able to give you a bit of guidance but I didn't really so I can totally empathize with that feeling of like (laughs) oh what's happening here I had no one to ask here really I was like you know I I, for what I do for a living I'm in sales and I'd be like kind of sniffing out anybody who got a baby just so I could ask them questions oh can I ask you some questions about your experience just because I didn't really know um but you know the doctor was really helpful told me everything to expect um I just started the job I was in I'd started a brand new job um so I had to go to my employer I was only three months in and say I'm 12 weeks pregnant so yeah that was uh, interesting as well quite early on into a new job so that was quite tough um but as things went on you know you get through your first trimester and second trimester and then they um they kept measuring um measuring my baby on the scan and they said he's measuring a little bit small you you look like you're gonna have a small baby it's like right okay and they they referred me to the doctor to be checked and the job the doctor said that the thighs were measuring on the smaller side in the smaller percentile and he said it's a a soft sign for down syndrome so we'd gone from something like i think the average is one in 300 for every mum but we'd gone from that to one in 100 so we kind of got that news and we're like, right, okay, um, you know, and we were offered the amniosis or offered um, the blood test. Mm. I didn't want the amniosis because they said there's a chance of miscarriage and I absolutely didn't want to risk that. And it didn't change how we felt about anything, not at all, but I really wanted to know uh, just so I could be prepared if that was the case. Yeah. Um, so we had the blood test and it came about like one in 10,000. So we had the, the kind of relief then of, okay, right, we know uh, we know what to expect because yeah. that's all I wanted to know was w- what to expect if that yeah. is the case. And these tests are available to everyone, um, but mm. you, you, usually you pay you pay Paid, yeah, these. we paid yeah, for that so one, you pay yeah. For it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then that way you have a, more of an idea about whether or not it's likely that your child will have yeah. an anomaly. So it's not 100% clear, but it was like a one in 10,000. So instead of it being one in 100, which is still such a small percentage. Um, but, you know, it's just there's so many worries yeah. in pregnancy anyway. And I was 
I think with your first baby, I was worried about everything. So anxious about anything. And that then for me, I just thought I can't, I just, if I can alleviate something or prepare myself for something, I'll take that route. So that's why we did that. And like things carried on with the pregnancy well and we went on a baby moon to Powers Court. Lovely. Lovely two nights there. It was so nice. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, my partner, John, he trains and he went to training that evening when we got back. And I went to the toilet and there was a tiny bit of blood. Um, and I thought, oh, do I say anything? Do I not? It's so faint. It's tiny. I didn't want to be dramatic, yeah. you know. Um, and I had to ring his dad and his mum and they had to run on the pitch and go and get him. So it was it did turn out to be quite dramatic, but... You know, I'm glad I did do that because it was something. And we went into the rotunda and we were waiting for, uh, for a little while. And then I was checked. And this was about the 22nd of April. And I was due on the 2nd of June. And they said, oh, you've tested positive for your waters partially breaking. I was like, right, okay, what does that mean? And they were like, well, the baby's not moved around. So you're going to have to have a cesarean. I was like, okay, uh, get my head around that. And then they said, you can't leave. I was like, what? <laughs> like, you have to stand. I mean, I was in my scrubs, hair on top of my head. House wasn't prepared. My bag not packed. You know, you've got all these, like, ideas of having really nice, fancy pajamas and all yeah, that. Yeah, because you were still, what, like, eight weeks away from your due date or more? Um, I was six, seven six, weeks. Six yeah. weeks at this stage. Yeah. So, you know, we were just... That's me right now. Yeah. That's I, terrifying. I, <laughs> sorry not to scare you. It's okay. Um, but, yeah, we... <laughs> We abs- I hadn't finished work, yeah. like not the house wasn't ready, just yeah. all these little things, the, the nesting period and kind of yeah. the stage where I was a week away from finishing work. So I couldn't wait to finish work and nest, you know, all the last minute bit and, you know, put on another stone, eating and sat on the couch, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I was really looking forward to it. And then to be in there and then be told that I was like, right, okay, overwhelmed kept crying randomly all the time I just found that quite difficult for the first day then I kind of settled into it a little bit but every day John came to visit me I cried when he left I just really couldn't believe that I wasn't walking out there without a baby I was like even though obviously I'm pregnant I know it's happening I was walking out with a baby and that's gonna happen whether I like it or not and they said right we'll book you in for cesarean 12th of May I'm like right okay I've got a couple of weeks it's really hard though isn't it because you know we have an idea of what our pregnancy is going to be like yeah and what our labor is going to be like and what it's going to feel like to have your baby in your arms or what it's going to feel like to you know you have an idea of all of that in your head and when that's any bit of that is taken away and even though logically you know this is what's best for me this is what's best for the baby it's really hard to get your head around that oh you're so right we've all got like crazy hormones going on as well so (laughs) we're not exactly at our most reasonable so I think it's totally understandable that you found that also upsetting well you lose control of your body anyway during pregnancy and all these things are happening that you kind of you're like oh this is new or this is new and then when that happens you're exactly right I've got this idea in my head I convinced myself gonna be a week or two late that's what you always are on your first baby and that's what most people have told me and I just had it all planned in my head of how it was going to go and then for it not to go like that and then I got my head around this date I was in hospital and I downloaded loads of stuff on the the iPad and I was you know watching loads of Netflix and I kind of set myself up in a corner of the rotunda yeah. with my towel <laughs> and everything I was like making myself at home and um uh John my partner's birthday is the 30th of April and they said uh, that we could leave for an hour and go for some lunch mm. I was like oh brilliant like I was getting escape. cabin fever like day five I was like, yes we can escape 
and we would lay on the bed together just talking about where we were going to go because we could only go locally so we're just talking about where to go and I felt a pop and I was soaked and I was like oh my god this is not meant to happen now like I just got my head around the 12th of May Mm. and then that happened and they they said at first oh no it's nothing you know your waters are broken anyway it's just a bit more and I was like this doesn't seem like a bit I've gone through like three sets of pajamas I have none left Um, and they sent my partner away and it kind of went on and on and then they you know I waddled down the hall and said I'm I'm googling contractions and this seems to be like a contraction I'm in pain and then the doctor tested me said you're you know you're two centimeters call your partner so I phoned him and he came back and he looked as white as a sheet you know he's pale anyway but even whiter than he could possibly look um and they said, right, we're going to have to, you know, they kept telling me not to push because I, I got to five centimetres within about half an hour. Wow, so it was okay. all going really quickly. Yeah. And, and they said, you know, we've got to go and give you an emergency C-section. I didn't know, um, but there was, I think, part of his foot and part of the umbilical cord was out of my uterus. So I didn't know this. Um, or maybe I can't remember it because I've blacked out so much of it now. I can't remember holding him for the first time or anything. I think there's bits that have gone... And um, then I just remember, yeah, we wheeled down to theatre, uh, had, had, and I remember screaming in the middle of theatre because I was convinced my leg was arched and I was obviously panicking and I was like, can somebody flatten my leg? Can somebody flatten my leg? And I just screamed. And they were like, yeah. it's okay, your leg is flat. We just need to get this done God, really quickly. poor thing. I was just, I, I thought I was fine and obviously I wasn't because I was ah, just screaming. But, but again, you had just settled into this new situation yeah. where yeah. you were like, okay, I'm going to be in the hospital, but that's okay. And you'd come to terms with that. And then again, the rug was pulled out from under you. And there I was then with my little baby. Do you know, he was five, six, which was so good considering he was five weeks early. Yeah. And considering they kept saying I was going to have a small baby, yeah. I wasn't going to have a small that's baby. That's a really, that's a great way. Isn't it? Like yeah. if I'd have got to full term, he would definitely have been like a good nine pounder. Mm. That's not a small baby. Like, no, so. I had one of those. I can oh, tell gee. you. It's not. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> um, and so, so you had the section and, and they delivered him. And, yeah. And tell me about him. He's, he's brilliant <laughs> he's the best um I guess you just you go straight into the baby bubble don't you as soon as your baby's born and like I think uh, when you have a, a c-section you're it, it is painful after and I think like maybe from an aftercare perspective I don't know whether I was probably kind enough to myself and looked after myself enough I was probably doing too much when I came out of hospital with him as well but you're always up and out of bed and minding your baby and it, you know it's, it's really painful um but I was just in this bubble of having my little baby there. And because, you know, I've not really been around that many babies. To me, I know he was small, but everybody was like, oh, God, are you okay? He's really small. But I was really confident with him because I was just like, oh, it's my baby. It's fine. Yeah. But he was really tiny, like in the tiny baby clothes. And um, he kept failing the heel prick test. And he was going to have to go into an incubator. I was having trouble breastfeeding. I really, really wanted to breastfeed. So they, that's just the heel prick test is a test that they do on all babies after yeah. they're born, and it's just it's kind of like general well being. Yeah. yeah, and they have to um, they have to pass, they have get three goes to pass it. And I'm not sure what the the level is that they have to pass, but he failed it the third time, and um and they let me they let me go one more time. And that night I just said, you know what? He can't be getting anything off me. I'm trying to breastfeed him. He's dropped a bit too much weight. He went down to five pounds. Mm. So I started to give him formula mm-hmm. and he passed the next test. So I think that, you know, I, I was really struggling. I, mean, I wasn't ready because he was so early yeah. and I really wanted to breastfeed. And I think for women as well, 
there's still that feeling of disappointment if you can't do it because yeah. it just feels like the the motherly thing to do. And do you know what? He's there's nothing wrong with him. He's he's been great on he's been on formula fed the whole time and I tried for weeks yeah. and it just wasn't happening. Yeah. But it's also quite nice that I got to share it with John. Like he got to help with the feeds. Yeah. Um I know I, I'd always try to breastfeed. Yeah. Always try. Yeah. Um but you know, I just think you shouldn't beat yourself up so much if it actually doesn't work out, you know? Yeah, I had a similar experience. I really, 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 really wanted to do it and I, I I really put myself under way too much pressure to the extent that it it was detrimental to me and I think detrimental to him really and detrimental to our relationship but it is so hard because again it's this idea that you have of what things are going to be like and when they don't work out the way that you want them to it's hard to accept that yeah and so I didn't want people to think I hadn't tried I didn't want to think oh she gave up too early because I really didn't there is that real fear of judgment isn't there in motherhood oh big time big time and I don't know and also from the birth experience like there's all this you know pain relief thing like the oh I did it with no pain relief like you should have a medal if you did it with with nothing you know Mm. but you know it's every woman experiences it in a different way and it's got its own you know traumas for everybody really you know you never know what to expect when it's happening Absolutely. Um, but when I I took Aiden home and my um I think what I found hard is my family are in England and I really wanted my mom like through that whole experience and I was talking to her lots and she arranged to come over for the day um when he was a week old and she came over for the day and we went for brunch we were sat there just about sorry to... that's very impressive a week old a week, for brunch yeah. for brunch yeah you're you doing know. well there yeah you know well it, the brunch didn't go so well I, okay. start, I started violently shaking and my teeth were chattering and I was like oh. I don't know what's wrong with me what's wrong with me and they, it was boiling hot and I was covered in blankets and everything I didn't know what was going on so you start to panic a bit then because I'm like I've never experienced this before and um back into the rotunda and my wound was infected so they said okay we've got to we've got to get your temperature down um, so they admitted me and they said, I must have misheard what they said or misread it, but they said, you can't have your baby with you. And I had a massive meltdown. Like, I can't, my baby's a week old. Please, I'm trying to breastfeed. Please, I need my baby with me. She was like, no, 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 I'm not telling you can't have your baby with you. Just not tonight. You're too ill. He can come in as a lodger if you're in for, because I was in for three days. Mm-hmm. So thank God that, you know, that he came in then because I just, the one night was when your baby's a week old, that was even too much. Yeah. But it would have been awful. Like, I wouldn't have been able to mind him because I was in a bit of a hoop yeah. that, that that night. So Yeah, so you just, I presumably you needed some IV antibiotics and yeah. some TLC. Basically, yeah. And they, yeah. I was just... I thought I was freezing, but I was boiling and they had the window open and everything and I was sh- just shuddering, like, I'm so cold, but I wasn't cold, I was boiling. Yeah. So yeah, that was... I'd... I think that's a co- that's a common sign of a pretty severe infection, yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I'd take the birth over that, you know, that first night, I've never felt like that in my whole life. It was quite frightening. So then presumably you would advise women who experience C-section to really take care of themselves oh yeah I did too much 100% did too much I didn't mind myself I was told to you know I had midwives coming to see me every day I was like I'm fine I'm fine you know and not accepting help you know trying to be super mum like ridiculous you know how can you be super mum when you're ill then in hospital for three days you know yeah. so I would definitely say <laughs> accept the help when you've had a season don't feel like you're not you're being dramatic at all accept the help you know 
don't try and do everything you know because it's it's I, I think though it's a first time thing as well yeah, because definitely. you know you feel like you're you, you're gonna have your baby and then you're gonna instantly be this like perfect earth mother and <laughs> you'll know everything to do and everything will be perfect and kind of admitting that you might need some help is a hard thing to come to terms with even yourself I think oh, big time, yeah. aside from saying it out loud like I, I certainly felt that that you know I felt like I couldn't I couldn't accept help or I couldn't ask for help I remember finding it really difficult when people like you know my own mother or my, my husband's mother would offer help I couldn't I, I just couldn't take I couldn't accept it something now, about this the time telling it'll you be and you're like <laughs> you know and they try and tell you like advice and you're like oh no 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 it's my baby I know it's funny isn't it like it's quite hard to accept the advice sometimes Very like, hard. it's my baby like I know but you don't always know I didn't really know what I was doing no so like you know you've got to accept the the help yeah. You, you just want to feel like you're doing it all because it's your baby, you know? Yeah, exactly. And you want to feel like you're getting it right because you yeah. want to get it right for your baby. And, you know, it's a really complicated thing. And I think it's it's important to kind of acknowledge because, you know, I think everybody goes through it to a certain extent. And oh, yeah. it's it's pressure that you're putting on yourself. But um, I'm definitely, I'll be get, taking all the help I can get with the second one, let me tell you that much. And I think I'd be, you know, a bit kinder to yourself in a sense of, I knew I wasn't, I probably wasn't right for a couple, probably two or three months after I had Aiden. And I blacked out a lot of it. And somebody actually said to me the other day, do you know what, you should go back or, or back then you should have maybe asked for details of what happened so it would have helped you piece together in, in your mind what happened and I wish I'd done that because that's a great idea I should have said could you just tell me what happened at what time just so I get a picture yeah. you know of what happened because I blacked it out and I couldn't remember holding him which I was really upset about you know I yeah. felt like I'd missed out on that I still can't remember it you know yeah. and I blacked out a lot of it but I think I always thought that if you if you don't feel that love towards your baby, that's where you, there's an issue. Yeah. You know, that's where like a postnatal depression can fall into is that you've got some kind of disconnect with your baby. But it, I wasn't like that. I was horrible to my partner. Like mm-hmm. I absolutely tortured the poor guy. Yeah. I was lovely with my baby, but I was just awful to him. Yeah. And now I look at that and think, oh God, that that's what it was. Yeah. You know, I just hadn't, you know, I just wouldn't have ever kind of admitted it, I guess, and said, oh, yeah. you know, I don't think I'm quite right. You know, so yeah. but I'd, I would say to anybody, like, if something doesn't feel right, you know, speak to your doctor. Because they kept asking me, the midwives always ask you, do you feel all right in yourself? You're like, yeah, 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 no, I'm fine. Yeah. You know, even if you're not. So yeah. I don't think it's, don't feel proud to say if you're not. Yeah, you know? yeah I feel, I really empathize with all of that. How, how do you think your partner was in terms of supporting you? Do you feel like he did a good job of that? Would you have any advice to people, to other partners, if someone is going through something like that? He he was brilliant. And for somebody, again, who had never had a baby before or been around babies, he was brilliant. And I think advice to moms, maybe the mistakes I made because I was the way I was at the start, I kind of let him fall into making mistakes just so I could torture him for it after. And I wish I'd just said, hey, John, please don't go to training tonight. I really need you to be here with me. I'm not feeling great. Yeah. Instead, I'd just let him go. And then be and annoyed. Then have a, be annoyed and have a go at him when he got in. That's no good for me, no good for Aiden, definitely no good for poor John, yeah. who then gets it in the ear, you know, because he's not quite sure what he's doing. So I think sometimes in men, you've got to be very direct anyway, and just be direct and say, look, I need this from you, because he was more than happy to do whatever I wanted him to do. He would have bent over backwards yeah. to, to, to please me. And I was just letting him make mistakes. It wasn't his fault. You yeah. know. Poor guy. I'm surprised yeah. he stayed with me. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I did the same thing. And did you feel that uh, that competition? Uh, like, I don't know. 
that happened I think a lot in my relationship where I was like no I am the best parent and so oh. therefore <laughs> I couldn't couldn't let him have anything because I had to be the best one because you hear all these things like about the, the baby's need for the mum and I guess I didn't want him to need John as much as me yeah. so that's where you take over so like, I'm his mum he needs me he needs me and now he's almost one and he's all about John he's daddy's boy he just loves him so much and I'm really annoyed about it yeah. I'm like hold on my, I'm your mum what about me yeah 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 <laughs> but he's just it's, he's why do you think sorry. I'm having another baby yeah like, there you go yeah <laughs> Sam's favourite is his dad I've got I've got to have one on my side <laughs> it's not fair like we went through all the pain you know <laughs> no I know I know it is it's a tricky thing like all of these dynamics are complicated mm. and you're just learning as you go along with all of it aren't you really oh yeah 100% Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience. You've been so open and honest, and I know that other people are going to benefit from hearing about how you got on. And I'm so happy to hear that you're well, and that Aiden's well, and that your relationship has survived. Addie Wood, thank you. Now, Professor Fanula Branagh is a consultant obstetrician and gynecologist and associate professor at the Rotunda Hospital. Fanula, we talked to Adi about some of the very dramatic complications she had during her pregnancy, but what are some of the more common complications that you come across? Um, Well, I suppose the first thing to consider is that the vast majority of people don't have complications, thankfully. Although I would say that everybody has uh, pregnancy-related, you know, problems, um, which we generally label as being... um, minor ailments of pregnancy and there's a long list that everybody would be familiar with like anything from nausea vomiting in the first trimester extreme tiredness back pain um constipation hemorrhoids headaches um, and so there's a long list of those types of things that generally although considered minor and certainly not a threat to the health of the pregnancy or to the health of the mum they can still be significantly problematic um, and um, and so I wouldn't you know it would be important not to take the approach of minimizing um, common symptoms um, uh, accepting that they're not particularly um, and they're certainly not threatening to the pregnancy um, it's important to realize that they can be quite distressing um, and indeed um, the majority of them are addressable and solvable on some level um, and separate to those common problems that are almost universally experienced um, is the issue of actual pregnancy complications that pose a risk to the health of mum or to the health of the of the pregnancy um, and that may require for instance um, more frequent hospital visits or indeed occasionally hospitalization during the course of the pregnancy and that's obviously a different matter and so from the point of view of those kind of things that would require medical attention um, they would typically range from um, concerns around fetal growth um, relation to placental function uh, preeclampsia which is a blood pressure complication gestational diabetes which is increasingly um, commonplace um, and then um, minor degrees of non-threatening bleeding during the pregnancy and even in the third trimester um, is quite common um, and requires certainly medical attention at a minimum and commonly hospitalization. In this episode we also wanted to discuss some of the complications that may present to parents at an ultrasound scan. 
If it shows up that mum has too little or perhaps too much amniotic fluid around the baby, is this always an issue or does it tend to resolve naturally? Okay. Um, so amniotic fluid, I suppose in very, it's important to consider the mechanics of amniotic fluid. Like where does it come from? Um, under what circumstances might there be maybe too much um, fluid surrounding the baby or perhaps too little? So, and, and they're very different entities. So um, the amniotic fluid is predominantly baby's urine actually and so it is we expect to see um, a healthy amount of fluid surrounding the baby and people will know that uh, there is an expectation that when labor starts at some stage during the course of labor the waters break and that's what the waters are the waters that and, and the baby is surrounded by fluid um, from very early in gestation um, uh, that fluid is generated obviously by the kidneys in the same way that um, in postnatal life um, that the kidneys produce um, urine and that um, in fetal life therefore having a healthy amount of fluid around the baby indicates a few things firstly indicates that the baby has functioning kidneys some babies do not have functioning kidneys have poorly functioning kidneys or blocked kidneys or no kidneys and in those circumstances, there is no fluid around the baby or very little fluid around the baby in the case of maybe, um, you know, poorly functioning kidneys. Um, but the extreme example of that would be complete absence of kidneys. And we would be alerted to that by an ultrasound seeing no fluid around the baby. Um, so we assume when we see fluid around the baby that the baby has kidneys, that the kidneys are functioning and that there isn't a blockage preventing the fluid from getting out and surrounding the baby. Okay. Um, in order for the kidneys to be functioning, they need a good blood supply. And during the course of pregnancy, the baby is entirely dependent on the placenta for actually all of its organ functions. So the placenta is a very unique organ, unique to pregnancy, that functions as the baby's kidney system, liver system, respiratory system, um, oxygenates the baby. Um, all of that happens through the placenta. And so if the placenta is not working, which is probably one of the most common complications we see in pregnancy, is a placenta that's not fulfilling its potential, um, then if that happens, then one of the first organs to be kind of sacrificed um, is the kidneys, actually. So the fetus has this remarkable way of adapting to limited resources by directing blood flow, for example, preferentially to the brain instead of the kidneys. OK, and and so we one of the most common causes we see for there being low fluid around the baby in a baby who we know has kidneys um, is actually that the kidneys are not getting a great blood supply and that it's a reflection of a poorly functioning placenta. Okay. Um, other causes of low fluid would be that the waters are leaking. Now that's usually obvious to the mum, but not always. And there are some circumstances where the waters have been slowly leaking over time and where it's difficult to figure that out. Um, so yes, one of the most common causes of low fluid, because obviously absent kidneys or a kidney problem would be unusual and not, not, not common, but one of the most common causes would be 
um, a poorly functioning placenta. So if we see low fluid around the baby, then that leads us on a path toward figuring out well, what other signs are there that might indicate that this is a placental problem. So we'd look at things like the growth of the baby. Is the baby appropriately grown? What does the placenta look like? What does the blood flow to the placenta look like? And we can um, uh, figure all of these things out with advanced ultrasound, um, in, in which actually has got to a point where we get um, a very accurate insight into how into the relationship between the placenta and and fetal growth um, on the other hand excessive fluid indicates that for sure the baby's producing fluid but somehow that fluid isn't being released now in the normal course of events um, the fluid is produced by the kidneys um, gets excreted and the baby actually swallows the fluid Okay, so there's this whole circulation system, and it doesn't sound pleasant, you know, the baby's swallowing his own urine, but actually that's fetal physiology, and that's what happens, and that's what we expect. Um, and otherwise you'd have um, a, a continuous buildup of fluid, in, which wouldn't make any sense. Um, so in order for a stable volume of fluid to circulate around the baby, the baby actually uh, swallows the fluid. And if we see a very impressive buildup of fluid around a baby, um, to a point where we would consider the fluid volume to be excessive, then we ask ourselves, well, is this baby unable to swallow? And a baby may be unable to swallow for a variety of reasons, maybe a neurologic issue that's affecting muscular function, um, or there may be a blockage at the level of the gut, at the level of the stomach, um, that results in a situation where that fluid can't be circulated. And so, again, the excessive fluid then leads us on a path toward, you know, figuring out what's causing that. And the first thing we might look for is to see, well, does, is there a, a, a stomach that is filling appropriately? Okay. Um, but the majority of people with a bit of excessive fluid have actually some excessive fluid for no good reason. Um, in particular, big babies. Big babies have big kidneys that produce a lot of urine, and so they'll tend to have a generous amount of fluid around them. But there are some not common circumstances where we see an extraordinarily excessive amount of fluid around the baby. And, and that um, extreme leads us on a path toward looking for an inherent fetal problem. And sometimes, Fanula, parents can be told that their baby is measuring within a certain percentile, and that can sometimes be a low percentile or a large percentile. What concerns would you have if a baby is measuring small? I suppose the first thing to say is that um, we, when it comes to fetal health, um, we worry more about small babies than big babies. Um, but I suppose our job is to worry about things that are unlikely to be the case. And it's important in context to remember that the vast majority of small babies are just genetically programmed to be small individuals. So typically you might see um, parents who are not tall or from an ethnic background that is not uh, renowned for tall individuals and, um, and a baby who from the very beginning of the pregnancy is small but growing, growing along its own trajectory with ultrasound evidence that the placenta is working well, okay, and um, with a satisfactory um, growth, um, interval growth between each 
uh, ultrasound assessment okay and again normal fluid around the baby normal blood flow to the placenta a normal appearing baby and um, that's all reassuring for um, normality okay and in those circumstances we'd be very relaxed about saying you know this uh, we don't have any uh, reason to believe that this baby is in any way at risk or that this smallness is a reflection of a problem that doesn't mean to say that we're very complacent because we do um, I suppose uh, as I said worry about small babies maybe having less reserve than larger babies during the course of pregnancy so um, so that's the first thing is that is that most small babies are just normal small but but it is important that we ensure that we're not in a situation where whereby we are um, attributing all smallness to just genetic potential you know this baby's just not destined to be a tall person um, and and not miss the fact that maybe the placenta is not serving the baby well okay or and that would be the second most common cause of smallness is that the placenta is not working optimally and um, and in those circumstances we look for um, again the appearance of the placenta the fluid around the baby and blood flow to the placenta and the growth pattern and um, and the placenta probably doesn't have to work at a hundred percent capacity but uh, it is an important judgment call for us to make in the context of a placenta that's not working wonderfully is, well, at what point is the baby better off out than in? So, you know, if, if placental poor function is identified at 36, 37, 38, 39, 40 weeks, then um, there's no great dilemma in proceeding with delivery and deciding actually at this point, um, the baby is better served by delivery and growth ex utero than staying put and relying on a placenta that's not um, doing its job to 100% capacity. Uh, on the other hand, if we see um, with ultrasound, if we see evidence that a placenta is not working wonderfully at um, 25, 26, 27, 28 weeks, then deciding to deliver a baby at that point is a huge deal because um, you're setting a baby up for um, not insignificant short-term, medium-term and, and long-term potential problems. Um, and so there, it, it is a judgment call that relies on us to decide, well, um, is what the neonatal intensive care unit has to offer, is that, does that you know, trump how well the placenta is, is functioning? And it is usually the case that the placenta wins out. So it is usually the case that, um, that as wonderful as our neonatal intensive care unit is, that there is no equipment in the unit that is as sophisticated as the placenta at sustaining a pregnancy, even if it's not the best placenta in the world. Okay, so that would be the, so that would be the second most common cause of smallness. And then the least common cause, but um, it certainly is something that we encounter um, every now and again, is a baby who is small because of an inherent fetal problem that's there from the very beginning that has perhaps a genetic basis um, along the lines of a, either a chromosome abnormality or a single gene disorder that's causing a, a global syndrome that um, declares itself usually in the form of both 
small size and perhaps a structural abnormality or an abnormality on ultrasound that um, that that raises concern for for uh, an inherent fetal problem and that obviously sets off um, in train a, a, se- a whole set of other investigations that need to be done. What can people expect from their first scan? Um, well, the first, the key piece of information um, is to ensure that the pregnancy is taking hold um, in the right place and is a continuing pregnancy. And unfortunately, it is um, incredibly common um, to the tune of one in six attendances that um, that uh, a woman would come along for her first ultrasound scan um, to find that in fact um, it's not a continuing pregnancy and hasn't really taken off from the very beginning or from several weeks prior um, and so nowadays um, and we sometimes refer to that as silent miscarriage in that the woman hasn't had any symptoms at all to suggest miscarriage, no bleeding, or and in fact typically will be feeling very well and very normal, but that ultrasound is telling us that it's you know, the pregnancy is not continuing, that there's no detectable heartbeat. Um, and silent miscarriage really, I suppose, isn't any different to you know miscarriage as all of us would understand it, except to say that it reflects the idea that of, of picking up the miscarriage before it's declared itself. Okay, so if p- with, with increasingly early access to ultrasound and um, uh, almost, uh, thankfully almost, universal access to ultrasound, is, uh, uh, we are increasingly diagnosing miscarriage this way, you know, before it would be a case that um, um, uh, people would attend the hospital very late with bleeding and find that it's not an ongoing pregnancy. So that's the first thing is to clarify that it's a viable pregnancy, that it's actually in the uterus. So about 1% of pregnancies are outside of the uterus, an ectopic pregnancy, and this can be a serious complication. Um, The third piece of information that we get is how many um, babies are there. And so it is the first and probably the best opportunity to clarify um, that whether it's a singleton pregnancy or multiple. Um, and then and then the next and um, very important piece of information is to date the pregnancy. And so first trimester ultrasound provides us with highly accurate uh, information on the gestational age of the pregnancy. So, and this is particularly valuable for people who maybe are very unclear about dates, uh, you know, uh, menstrual dates or um, how pregnant am I, um, then uh, the ultrasound um, will, even without taking any measurements at all, you can eyeball the features of a a first trimester image and really have a good sense for um, how far along the pregnancy is. Um, So uh, the measurement that we typically take is a measurement from the top to the bottom of the of the embryo who tends to, and the embryo in the first trimester is, is a little sort of peanut shape, um, and that measurement will accurately date the pregnancy within a few days. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor Fanula Branagh, and thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this expert-advised and mum-approved podcast. Chat to us on Twitter at Real Mums Podcast or visit online at realtalkwithrealmums.ie. I'm Louise McSharry and this has been Real Talk with Real Mums.